it was a really, really, truly special moment, that goal. I mean, last-minute equalisers and winners and stuff are wonderful, but um, our friend Musa Akwanga, who was on the podcast last week, uh, described Robin Van Persie on the touchline on the subs bench as being like the wolf from Pulp Fiction, just ready to come in and sort everything out, and it certainly came to pass. A very subpar Manchester United performance all in all, but quite spectacular way to end that game. Yes, absolutely stunning way to end the game. Uh, fantastic contribution from Van Persie. I mean, let's go right back. Uh, unbelievable pass from Giggs on the half volley. Won 50 yards. Weighted just absolutely perfectly. First touch by Van Persie. Takes it past the player. Second touch. Sets it up to shoot. Third into the back of the net. Uh, one of the goals of the season, clearly. And uh, in the final minute to earn United the draw. Keep United in the cup. Keep that dream alive of another FA Cup victory. You know, nine years since the last one now perfect brilliant moment wasn't entirely convinced it was going to happen for a long time it was wasn't a wonderful performance by United by any means I don't think we really expected one though no just before the incredible moment Giggs missed a header from six yards out and everyone sort of went oh that's it that's our chance gone and I thought back to the Newcastle game where we missed a couple of chances at three all and I thought you know what there's something about the character of this United side where I'm back to believing again and I thought I'm not convinced that that is the chance gone and then lo and behold Giggs's incredible pass and you say one of the goals of of the season and certainly was one of the goals of the season but legitimately I think it's one of the best goals I've ever seen in my life just in terms of the technique from both aspects the, the incredible pass the bit I enjoyed more than anything else is the first touch to pull the ball out of the sky like that and then immediately provide yourself with the option for the the second touch which set him so brilliantly in in issue naught of the blizzard there's a interview with Dennis Bergkamp and he talks about the the three touch rule really that the great goals tend to be about three touches this was entirely Bergkamp-esque three touches to perfection and and yeah I'm not sure I've enjoyed a goal more for many years in terms of his aesthetic qualities I mean perfect from that point of view wasn't it and technically superb just a lovely lovely goal I'm not sure it quite ranks up there with Bergkamp's wonder goal of the years past but not far off it and you know you can argue about that one of course but just a great moment as well and I think great goals are scored in great moments and and sure this wasn't a cup final or anything like that and third round away from home but uh, just a fantastic moment to keep United in it and I think the FA Cup is important and I know it's well down the list of priorities for United but I think it's too long since we won it and okay there were 2005-2007 finals both disappointments uh, but it feels like in a, a lot of years haven't quite taken it that seriously and it's about time United gave it another real shot difficult of course with United being top of the league and still in Europe and I guess we'll see where both of those and and of course this adds another game into the schedule in January which is now looking like an awful lot of games before the tie with Madrid yeah although we can't really complain about the fixtures in relation to that Madrid game because I believe they play Barcelona immediately before and after us and I think we play Norwich in between them when you say Norwich aren't up to the same standard the rivalry between United and, and Norwich is non-existent Although the the Chaos crew, Norwich's number one youth firm, no doubt would be trying to do something about that. What are we going to call it? El Tractoro. No, that's Norwich against Ipswich, isn't it? That's already, that's already happened. It's got to be El, El Must, Mustard Co. No, that doesn't work either, does it? I think we should move on quickly. Yeah, let's do that. The West Ham game then, overall, 
good solid start from United, went out in front, but then some really sloppy defending. Joe Cole getting a lot of plaudits for his uh, his impressive return to West Ham, two gorgeous crosses, real carbon copy goals, but very suspect defending. He really shouldn't have been allowed to get, especially the first cross off, and, and the second one, James Collins completely unmarked in the box. Skulls culpable for both of those Joe Cole who was slow to get out to Joe Cole for the cross and just let Collins breeze past him into the box didn't pick him up for the second so yeah you, you can apply some blame in, in some uh, quite a few areas yes uh, crosses should have been stopped from coming in uh, first one Vidic lost his man second one no one was marking Collins and I, whether it was Vidic's man or, or Smalling's uh, you know they didn't sort it out so pretty horrendous I've got to say I mean some really really basic stuff there and and, and West Ham I, I guess deserve the lead because you know there's lots of energy and intensity and none from United for a long time it felt like there was some kind of lack of urgency and I'm sure that's not really the case I think it was just more of a lack of fluency but uh, the ball didn't move quickly enough and, and the passing wasn't good enough. I mean, funny funny thing was, in the, in the first half, United had something like 75% possession. You know, loads and loads and loads of possession. And, and that, that kind of changed in the second half. West Ham were far more in it and, and got the rewards as a result. Uh, yeah, I thought United played some really excellent stuff in the first half. Kagawa, really effective, buzzing around, knocking the ball about nicely. Although to return to a debate we had months ago you could argue there was a lack of an end product for all that but you know fairly metronomic performance from Kagawa I thought but then in the second half he completely dropped out of it and was it was very shaky from United West Ham got right back into it they really did yeah and uh, United were very very close to heading out as a result I mean you know wonder goal aside United would be dumped out of the FA Cup by now and that would be a, a real real shame but it's not the case and we've got to replay in uh, I guess you know a week or so's time now I think it's scheduled for the 16th I yeah. believe and and you'd, you'd say United would be favourites for that now because it's at home and there will be more changes for sure I mean I talked about that heavy schedule I think there's something like eight games between now and the the Madrid game it's 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 something like two a week the first Madrid game so it's it is a pretty heavy schedule and there will be rotation and and the FA Cup will be the target for that rotation yeah absolutely I mean it was disappointing from United but but once again it just goes to show what we've talked about so much how much adding Van Persie to the squad has made a difference to our overall competence as a squad our effectiveness and if he stays fit then competing on all fronts seems realistic and then you know he only needed a 10 minute cameo to do his work in this one it really was it really was Harvey Keitel-esque he was just in and out boom sorted no problem move on on to the next one he'll have to play the whole game against Liverpool won't he uh, so we didn't tire him out too much with that one but you, you do wonder we, we, we've already become slightly reliant on him although you know look Rooney's out there's been a, a very heavy period of fixtures we still lack depth in in the midfield so we had to play both skulls and gigs although once again gigs proving his his worth substantially uh, but i, I really am uh, i've said it before i'm i am properly worried about skulls uh, i think i think it's starting to give the little bad shudder down the spine when you see his name on the the starting lineup and this is one of my very favorite players of all time i'm talking about you know yeah he's, he's not been having a good time of it gigs a lovely renaissance of sorts uh, who, who knows how long it will last uh, but let's enjoy it because I think he'll be gone by the end of the season and it's it's just great to see him playing again it kind of reminds me of that time that remember when he had a, a season or so of really bad form and then uh, there was a debate about a new contract and suddenly he was world class again yeah I, I, I'm being a cynic but uh, I, I actually don't think he will stay on 
uh, gigs beyond in the season because generally his performances have degraded highly and and he's not been used by Ferguson until recently and and he's had a really really good extended Christmas and good on him I mean where what do you think about skulls am I overreacting or is there a problem I don't think he's had a great season at all and I I think he looks physically shot and uh, I'm sure a lot of the reason why he was able to perform for the second half of last season was because he was only performing for half a season. Then the the week in between the the two games happened and the the, the biggest highlight of the football calendar this week was Leo Messi's polka dot nod to Maradona, the polka dot suit that he wore to the Ballon d'Or and he, he absolutely swept it and deservedly so, poor old Cristiano Ronaldo pouting a bit and sad that his club don't back him to the hilt or whatever it is that's stopping him winning but frankly I think the thing that's stopping him winning is he's playing in the same era as possibly the the best of all time I mean I I can't see an argument that says Messi shouldn't have won that can you? No I I mean I suppose if you you take the argument that, that Ronaldo actually won some trophies there's a solid argument. I mean, he scored 60 goals in 55 games. That's pretty bloody good in the year and and, uh, and, and won some key trophies with Real Madrid and, and Messi, brilliant individual year, not so great in terms of his club. So that that would be the only argument. Yeah, he did score 80-odd goals in the year, though. He did win the European Championships with Spain as well, didn't he? Oh, no, no, wait a minute. I've got confused there. Interesting the Ballon d'Or, though, because uh, yeah, some strange selections, not only from some of the coaches. You know, Young Song Soo of North Korea voted Wayne Rooney the second best player in the world. Clearly. Interesting. Yabba Kan Kava, uh, captain of Georgia, voted for Rooney as the best player on the planet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No doubt, no doubt about it. There were some even stranger ones that didn't have Messi or Ronaldo in there. Jo- Joachim Löw voted for Mesut Özil, who's not having a great time this season. And uh, Manuel Neuer has his number one and two. Crazy. Clearly, any, anyone who doesn't have Messi is one and two. Messi and Ronaldo is one and two, or in whichever order you want to put it, is as you put it earlier when we spoke. Wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Wesley Snyder proved that once again he's definitely coming to Manchester United by picking Robin Van Persie as his player of the year. Good lad, Wes. That's what we like to see. Wesley Snyder is a red. He's off to Galatasaray by all the looks of it. I wonder whether that's just media speculation. I'm, I'm sure they'd love to buy him. Whether he'd take a step down that far, I'm not sure. It's really remarkable, though, how far his stock's fallen in such a short space of time, isn't it? And you can't help thinking, oh, I wonder if he's terribly regretting not taking the opportunity to join the most magnificent team in the world at the point in which he, he could have done. Well, indeed, that's his loss if that one was ever really on. And, and in the in the team of the year, um, Danny Alves, who's had a horrible year, it does make you wonder whether the a lot of the voting isn't just on fame and, and rather than actual performances. I mean, Gerard Piquet legitimately has not been as good as Johnny Evans in the last calendar twelve months. You know, it's, I'm not not just saying that; it's true. Interesting question from at Chris K ninety three saying, given that the FIFA FIFA Pro eleven was all La Liga, what would be your World eleven excluding La Liga players? We'll pick a position each to make this go a bit quicker. I'm, I'm having goalkeeper and I'm definitely going to take Buffon. Who was voted the best player by quite a few, actually, surprisingly enough. Um, <laughs> quite a few Italian people. You'd think the voting would actually dis- disregard voting for your home country, wouldn't you? But uh, it doesn't. Did Darren Fletcher have Messi in his top three, by the way? Because he, he definitely had Ronnie at number one. and I'm not sure he had Messi in there. They went for Cristiano, Messi and Van Persie. Oh, that's all right then. Good lad. Uh, yeah, so Buffon in goal. Uh, who would you have at right back in a, in a non-La Liga eleven? Ed, Philip Lahm. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a nice, easy answer. I th- actually think left-back's open to debate. So a brilliant statistical analysis by Giggs Boson, which is also the, the official best username on Twitter, as everyone knows. Comparing the contribution of Ashley Cole and Patrice Everett, and Patrice Everett comes out very nicely in that. But I think, given given his performance in, in basically being the most important player in Chelsea's side on the route to the Champions League, it'd be harsh not to have Ashley Cole at left back. Yeah, but it's Ashley Cole. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I'm putting that to one side for it's a world eleven, not a cat's eleven. <laughs> I'm putting my prejudices to one side for a moment. All right, so you you get to pick a centre half. Before that, the captain of the Turks and Caicos Islands is called Davilmar Rodney, prize for the best name of all the voters. It's pretty good. Who did he vote for? Mr Rodney voted for Messi, Ronaldo and Falcao, you know, the big three. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's taking the Hodgson approach, the safe approach. The very safe approach. All right, so who do you have at centre-half then, Ed? Well, can you look past Ike Casillas' vote for best player in the world, Sergio Ramos? Mm. <laughs> no, he's got to be a non-La Liga player, Ed. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. I, I think you'd probably, at least on the first half of the year, have Vincent Company in there. I think he was the, the best defender in the English league last season. But maybe not yeah. for the second part of the year, though. I'm going to have Mats Hummels in there with him. Who is a, a wonderful player and had a great Euro tournament. Yeah, and that's um, all I'm picking. It. I'm, I'm like one of those, you know, captains of an obscure squad in the middle of the South Pacific Islands who hasn't actually watched any football all year. But I did see the Euros. Mats Hummels looked really good. So then, left midfield... What formation are we going for here? I think I think the standard four four two. I think is the is the formation that you pick a world eleven in, isn't it? I can't have Giggsy. Yeah, you can have Giggsy. Why not? If you think he's been the best left sided midfielder in the world in the past twelve months, you... in the past twelve days, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't laugh too hard, mate. You, the TB's not going well. It's not. If you if you want to donate to Paul's medical fund, it's nitorant.co.uk <laughs> forward slash bad aids Paul. <laughs> That makes me so sad. I am feeling a bit better. Thank you for all your concern, listeners, after last week's show. Got quite a few tweets asking whether I was still alive. Well, I think people were concerned about the, the terrible audio quality that you're emitting. You know, if you're going to die, will you just do it a bit quickly and, and quietly? Yeah, sorry. Oh, quiet's not a problem. You're, you're just stalling because you can't think of a left midfielder who's been good who didn't play in La Liga, aren't you? Well, quite, yeah, yeah, probably. I don't really know. I can't only think of a, a, a left winger that's been impressive this season. I'm going to go for a slightly out of position Mario Goetzer, I think. Although he's been injured for most of the last 12 months. And I'm really just, if I'm being completely honest, thinking about my Football Manager 2012 team. All the rest of the positions I aren't really bothered about, except that I'd have Ibrahimovic and Van Persie up front together. And that would be the most wonderful thing that anyone had ever seen ever. And then based on the last 12 months, you'd, you'd have to have Pirlo in there, who's been outstanding for yeah. Juve, taking them to Serie A and, and for Italy in the summer. You might think about how you might get some other players like uh, Edison Cavani, the Napoli striker, who's yeah. wonderful. Uh, in there, Sergio Aguero, of course, had a fantastic year with Manchester City, perhaps, perhaps not so much in the second half. Uh, of course, several people, he can't be included because he's a non-La Liga uh, 11 uh, voted for Sergio Biscuits as as number one player in the world. Yeah, absolutely, and that's absolutely true. As long as that's the type of thing you want out of a footballer, lots of diving and stuff. You you might also think about David Silva and and Juan Mata. Yeah, a couple of Spaniards, but playing in the Premier League, both had excellent years. Or Juan Mata more than Silva, I'd argue. And and then some of the Germans who have been great at club level and and great for Germany this summer, Thomas Muller. You know, yeah. You know, okay at club level, 
been pretty good with Germany. Marco Royce, now, now there's an up-and-coming player, absolutely fantastic with Borussia Dortmund. So I'm just naming a whole bunch of my favourite players here. That was good. I like, I, I'm happy to listen to that. They're all had, you know, really good 2012s. I think apart from Van Persie, you're going to struggle to get any United players in there. But a little shout from me for Michael Carrick, just because of my undying love for him. I'm not sure if he quite belongs in that lineup. This turned my world upside down because the world's greatest player, TM, didn't make the team. Who's the world's greatest player, TM? Gareth Bale, obviously. <laughs> yeah, we do, we're picking left, trying to think of good left midfielders. We had a spot open for left midfielders that didn't even think about Gareth Bale. He is good, Gareth Bale. Like, it's a bit, you know, he gets picked on a lot because he's a... A bit divey. He is a bit divey, but I do think he's slightly less divey than people make him out to be. And he's a bit, he's just a bit runny fasty, you know. Um, no, he's pretty, he's pretty divey. There's a lot of talk about diving again and whether it's all right to go down if you feel contact and all that stuff. Steady on, this is a family show. <laughs> you know that against modern football banner? I just want a banner that says contact is not a foul. A foul is impeding right. another player, not touching them, you know. So yeah, all in all, you, you can't really argue too much with Messi getting that, that number one spot, can you, Ed? No, you can't. He's He was the best player in the world last year, uh, much as we would have liked Cristiano to win, of course. I don't know that I would, particularly. I don't get it. He used to play for us, and now he doesn't anymore, and he's he's at the club he wants to be. There was an article went doing the rounds. Everyone was going, oh, see see how much he loves us. He said something along the lines of, oh, you know, it would be weird if I scored against Man United. And then he basically, and, you know, I'd be sad about that. But then he said the way I would be happy is by getting my team through. He doesn't care about you guys, you know. He's moved on. We all have to move on with our lives. We found a new, a new, nicer, kinder world superstar now. You know, sort of grey-haired, mature figure to replace the petulant arrogance of our previous love. You know, we've gone, we've, we've, we've swung to the opposite end of the spectrum. We've, we've got, we've got Van Persie now. We can all just calm down and let Ronnie go. Hmm, gone for a bit of milf. Mature, mature and classy. Yeah, absolutely. Not particularly classy. Uh, I'm, I'm now going to interject with some Twitter questions, uh, just because I feel like it. And a question from at Amplified to Rock, which I feel uniquely qualified to answer. Which current United players would be the best Muppets? Conversely, which Muppets would make the best Man United players? I think Rio Ferdinand has got a certain Muppet-like quality. He's very sort of larger than life. He's very enthusiastic. I think it would work. And as for which Muppets would make the best United players, I think you've got to have the great Gonzo in there. There's a little bit of danger, a little bit of, you know, flair and sort of you. nobody else would really know what he was doing. And then ultimately you want Kermit sat on the sidelines calling the shots because, you know, he makes good decisions time after time. He's a brilliant man manager or pig manager or bear manager under the circumstances. And, and I think he's a, he's a clear candidate to replace Sir Alex, actually. Ed, I'm presuming you don't have any strong thoughts on which Man United players would make the best Muppets. Not, not really, to be fair. Anderson is fuzzy bear, though. <laughs> there you go, see? Uh, you always pull, pull out the unexpected gem on, on those types of questions. At Kononoff asks, Is it me, or is ORVP getting more and more grey with every goal that he scores? Hashtag Rankcast, hashtag Silverfox. Uh, it's true, actually. I feel like every new goal springs another grey hair on his head, and... But there are quite a lot, aren't there? You know, he's gone a bit gigsy with all, with all the grey. It just makes him look, you know, even more dashing. Talking of Van Persie and gigs, uh, absolutely one of the highlights of the week for me was MUTV 
clip of an interview which is after the West Ham game and it's just little interview with Van Persie and at the end Stuart Gardner asks him you know what about Giggsy and Van Persie just kind of loses it bursts out laughing just absolutely filled with professional respect for for Giggs just like what a guy what a player he is incredible you know at his age and you can tell he's just absolutely blown away by him and it is it is lovely to see Van Persie's reaction to playing with a better class of players than he's been used to and that that's clearly part of the reason why he's fitting in so well at the club yeah he almost wasted eight years didn't he he did indeed at Wasim Velji says Spain got plaudits for winning the Euros with a false nine why isn't Fergie getting any recognition for using a false midfield? Well, he's he's defined a new tactical era, I think, Ferguson, the donut, you know. No one's ever done it before and succeeded, and, and it looks like Ferguson's going to do it now. But it's kind of lopsided donut. It's just really fat on one side. Which side? The attacking side, the bit with all the jam oozing out. <laughs> that you don't eat jam in a ring donut, but, you know, hey, it's not the point. It's not, it's not the point, but I like it. I guess we need to talk about something that I uh, I didn't really want to talk about, but it won't go away. It's like being seriously discussed in the media that for some reason, in spite of what looked to the untrained eye to be a series of increasingly solid, impressive performances, Ferguson's losing patience with the hair. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure whether this just isn't, you know, a media following media and one story, and and uh, it gets repeated around, and and suddenly it's it's Ferguson's losing patience. I mean, he didn't rotate him for the FA Cup game. He's played a good solid string of games right at the moment. I don't think United can be playing buying a, another goalkeeper in the in the January window. And and as it stands, De Gea is is number one for the rest of the season. As it stands, you know, there may be a, a change in there somewhere, but but he appears to have dropped the rotation policy. De Gea's number one I can't see any reason why he won't be number one for the Liverpool game and for the cup replay with West Ham after that do you think it's paper tool and you don't you don't hear anything coming out of United that makes you think that there was serious concerns about De Gea's long-term future no you know my my weekly chat with Fergie didn't say anything about it what did he say oh hi it's good it's good that's what he says every week isn't it so uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. The, that mirror story also said United were uh, targeting Pepe Reina as uh, their number one choice. So that that's just how credible that piece. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, these people get paid to write this stuff. I, the Begovic thing makes sense to me, but not really because he's not going to want to be number two. You don't want De Gea to be number two. You just need to stick with it. And I just feel like I feel so confident that in two seasons' time. David De Gea will be the unquestionably held up to be the best keeper in the Premier League and I don't know maybe that's just maybe it's a false confidence maybe it's overrating his that incredible shot stopping power he's got and just assuming that the rest of it's going to take care of itself but it just feels like it's getting better and it feels like he does get ever more impressive when he plays those strings of games yeah and I think his performances have been good yeah haven't they? absolutely you can blame him for either of West Ham's goals. It's not his ball to come and claim. And, you know, the organ- the defensive organisation should have been coming from the centre-backs there. If you're going to start dropping players based on errors, then Nemanja Vidic would be out the side. And I don't think anyone would actually advocate that. No, absolutely. So, talking, having gone back to the West Ham game, I, I'm not quite ready to finish talking about that goal. been thinking about it a lot this week. And at, at Brandon Ulrich 2 asks... Where does ORVP's latest wonder rank in the pantheon of United goals? Which is basically just an excuse to talk about some of our favourite United goals ever. 
Well, in terms of the quality, I mean, it's right up there in terms of, you know, some of the best I've ever seen. I mean, you can't look much beyond Paul Scholes' wonder volley against Bradford, can you? Ryan Giggs's Maisie Run, David Beckham's 60-yarder, all of those in the last 25 years. George Best's gorgeous chip that was good enough to win the Grand National. A couple of Bobby Dazzler blasters and so on and so on. Cantona, all, all, all Cantona's goals, even the ones that weren't that good because they were scored by Cantona. His run and chip against Sunderland. Yeah, that chip against Sunderland. The control and the lob over the Crystal Palace keeper. Yeah, a couple of Rooney ones in there as well. The wonder goal against City. The volley against Newcastle where he almost burst the back of the net on the fall. Chip against Portsmouth, I think, in the FA Cup as well. Cantona-esque, a really beautiful one. Uh, Ronaldo, bunch of phenomenal Ronaldo goals, aren't there? Mm, stunning one against Portsmouth, I remember, 40-odd yards out. It was, it was pretty good, that Ronaldo. But, you know, we've been absolutely spoiled. In terms of meaning as well, in particular, the Skulls goal against Barcelona. Norman Whiteside, left foot, curled round the Everton defence into the corner, so win the 85 Cup final. I, I don't know what, whether this means anything or not, but you just saying that just made me burst into a grin from ear to ear. Roy Keane with a captain's goal against Juventus. Yeah, we've 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 been pretty blessed with spectacular goals over the years, but that that RVP one was absolutely no slouch. And I definitely, I definitely, if we were having this conversation after a brilliant goal in in a decade's time, we'll definitely be going, oh yeah, also that RVP goal. One of the joys of supporting a team at the very top of the world game of football is that you get to revel in excellence, you know, which is a, a really pleasant thing when it happens. A goal I enjoyed very much indeed was uh, Dimitar Berbatov's overhead kick against Liverpool. And we move on to that game, which is coming up later in the week. But I guess before we do that, being as it's January, we can't not talk about the transfer window. And Sir Alex Ferguson is really unhappy about some underhanded dealings involving a transfer of a young player. This is fascinating, this Seki Friars one, because uh, I'm quite sure we had a long conversation with many people on Twitter about the time that uh, Friars went to to Belgium, uh, saying that he'll be at Spurs in January. It just seemed so bloody obvious, you know, and that's basically what Ferguson has said this week, that he figured as soon as Friars went overseas that he'd be back at Tottenham, and and this is, uh, he does, as Ferguson said, smack of Daniel Levy. I don't think they've actually broken any laws or rules, FA rules, about any of the transfers. They've, They've obviously arranged it with standard liege to do this clearly and but seems like that's okay interesting interesting though isn't it that clubs uh, will have seen this and they might try and do that in the future i mean seems that spurs have paid liege just under a million pounds you know a million euros or so liege paid united about a quarter of that so they've taken a nice little uplift on flipping the player and, and spurs have played one sixth of of what the many people think the tribunal might have asked them to pay united i mean that's super super dodgy isn't it just like super dodgy, not like a bit dodgy, but completely, totally and utterly, blatantly dodgy. If it's not breaking any laws, then then it's all all that's happened is that they've you know pulled one over United basically. So it is because of the disparity between how how FIFA sees uh, the consolidation payments and how the, they do it in the UK, where a young player out of contract under the age of twenty four, it still goes to a compensation board. You know, there's not a set formula. Finally, Spurs put out a statement, basically paraphrasing, you know, don't know what the problem is. Uh, and United will get 5% of the transfer fee for um, him being at uh, United since he was 12, so for eight years. So uh, that's great. That's about 50 grand. Yeah, it's nice. You would have thought that there would be some law in place to say you can't just flip a player in six months. 
So the thing is, you can't play for three clubs in the season, but he wasn't, he didn't play for United, you know, he was out of contract. So a player can move between, you know, his, his first club of this season was Liège, his second club was Tottenham, and that's perfectly okay. No chance that the idea that somehow he was just homesick and wanted to come back to Tottenham after all. I think that's total nonsense, don't you? Obviously, his agent's been on the phone to the media and said he felt disrespected by Ferguson. And this is a good point in a way, because the offer to him was £1,500 a week. It seems like he's on more like 20 at Spurs. And it was one of the debates we had on the pod last season where we said that United might not be competing at the, you know, for young players. And, and we lost Pogba. A lot of that was to do with wages. Also, the fact that he wanted to play. We've lost Friars to do with wages and the fact that he wanted to play. Whether United felt he was good enough to offer him anything uh, more is debatable. You know, I'd, he'd been injured quite a lot, Friars. Uh, had a, a good season where he wasn't injured, but you know, throughout his sort of younger development time with United, he'd, he'd spent a lot of time injured as well. And, you know, I think the offer that they made him basically reflected the fact that they didn't, you know, rate him as highly as, as maybe Spurs do. You know, good luck to the lad. I hope he goes on and has a good career. You know, he didn't do anything wrong at United. He just decided he wanted to move on. I think Spurs that have arranged the shenanigans to save themselves a few million quid. In in doing so, they've they've probably made an enemy in United. But hey, face it, next time United wants to buy a player off Tottenham, they'll still be going knocking at the door. And they're enemies anyway, aren't they, in a way? It's funny because there's, there's a lot of, I don't know, I have a lot of positive interactions with Spurs fans. More than any, any other club, there's a, a weird, I don't know, don't get too much enmity between United and Spurs. But in the boardroom, there's absolutely like, they hate each other, don't they? But we kept buying their best players for a while that must have annoyed them a bit other transfer rumours Ashley Cole and Frank Lampard to United both on freeze next summer <laughs> I, don't, I mean it doesn't look like anyone's talking about it happening in January but uh, they're both going to be leaving Chelsea because uh, Abramovich has this policy of not offering contracts to older players you know we lost Drogba last season Lampard's definitely going looks like Cole will go too I can't say I want either of them at United for slightly different reasons and I can't say I really see it either. They're both on massive wages, so I'm not quite sure that United will be stumping up that. Don't really see the benefit either because, I mean, long term, that left-back problem needs to be fixed. I, I don't see why buying an older player would fix it. And in the centre of midfield, OK, Lampard would give you another season, but he's been pretty average for Chelsea, uh, to be honest, this season. So all it would do is stunt the development of Cleverly, I presume, uh, and wouldn't fix the real problem we have there. Fergie, don't sign him up. Fergie, Fergie, don't sign him up. That's all I've got to say about that. Lampard in January for six months, I'd have, but uh, that's obviously not going to happen. So beyond that, it seems completely ridiculous. Plus, as I've, I've said before about Ashley Cole, he's a c- <laughs> You're just making sure that gets into the episode this week, are you? Things that have actually happened in the transfer market. Scott Wooten and Davide Petrucci have gone on loan to completely, you know, just a, a random club picked out of thin air, you know, no particular reason. They've gone to Peterborough. Nepotism. Has it ever actually worked out for a United player that's gone to one of Fergie Jr.'s clubs? You don't. Like, I mean, seriously. So Tuncliffe went Peter Bray. Had some games where he was in and out of the team. I mean, he did have like twenty odd games. Wooten went before, spent most of his time on the bench. Uh, last time he was at Posh. Danny Welbeck had eight games at Preston once. Uh, it's it's not really exactly worked out for player or United or probably Peterborough either. It's a weird one. I mean, I th- you think you'd think that Davide Petrucci would tear it up at that level. Oh, yeah, he's far too good for that level. I mean, uh, one of the things is uh, whether he gets enough time on the ball. I mean, Peterborough do play some decent football, so, you know, that, that should help him. Uh, Wilson should be fine at championship level now. He's got another year under his belt since he was sort of last there. 
I think he's an OK player. I don't think he'll make it at United. He's just not got enough class about him and he's a little bit slow. So I think he'd be fine in the championship though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it will be very interesting to see if Petrucci can be the, the loan signing that actually makes a difference. Only going for a month though because it's his first loan deal. That's the initial length of time. A few players come back from loan as well. Um, and uh, lots of talk today, actually, about Danny Welbeck going on loan to a Premier League club, which seems absolutely mental. I can't, I just, you know, you want it. No, I'm sure I'm sure there's a few Premier League clubs that would want him, but what's the point? Yeah, it's ridiculous because it's not like he desperately I mean he, you know, he needs development time or whatever, but he needs development time at United. And if you were going to try and turn him into a, some sort of saleable asset, then it would make sense to send him out on loan, but if you want him at United in the long term, you know, RVP tweaks a hamstring or Rooney does his knee or something and then you desperately need Welbeck. It's he's been made the joint second most appearances for United in all competitions this season a lot of them are sub appearances but he's you know he's been he's been heavily involved and he's been really helpful when he has come on as a sub as well Right, I see no rationale for sending him away and I'm quite sure that Ferguson will see the same thing too. It's tough on Welbeck at the moment because there's, there's competition, but hey, do we want it any other way? No, you know, if only we had that kind of competition in central midfield, if we had four outstanding central midfielders and a player of Welbeck's quality equivalent in midfield was sat on the bench, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Unfortunately, it's, it's Anderson sat on the bench and, and, and sat in McDonald's, sat on the physio treatment table. Talking of central midfielders, any signs that we might be buying one this January? Doesn't look like it. I mean, Ferguson said quite quite clearly no spending. I mean, there was a, all the rumours about Herrera, and it seems that United you know, definitely interested in the player, but but nothing solid yet. He scored a bit of a bit of a worldie this week, didn't he? I don't know if you've seen that. Well worth well worth checking out. Indeed, transfer market elsewhere. No huge moves uh, going down. Doesn't look like Paris Saint-Germain are going to sign Ronaldo in this transfer window. Falcao doesn't look like he's coming to Chelsea. But then Babar has gone to Chelsea. An excellent signing for them, I think. Uh, so, yeah, no, no, nothing exactly setting the world on li- alight. But there rarely is in January. It just doesn't, doesn't happen that often, does it? The massive January signing. Manchester City uh, get mocked a lot by Man United fans for not being the most well-supported club in the world, and in some regards, rightly so. Lots of myths about where their support comes from and what percentage of support in Manchester's City fans, all that sort of thing. But people that were making fun of them for sending a lot of tickets back to Arsenal were barking up the wrong tree, I think, as an organised protest against the minimum away fan price of £62 and 900 tickets returned, I think, to Arsenal. Actually, I have to say I'm on I'm on City's side with this one. It's uh, it's a disgrace that tickets cost that much uh, for a start, but it's the unequal pricing between matches that that really offends. So you know, Stoke paid 35 quid and City paid 62. It happens to United fans as well. So let's not let's not pretend it's just City fans. United fans pay lots more than other fans when we go to certain away grounds, and and that's that's an absolute disgrace. And of course, look, the the argument is it's supply and demand. Maybe they picked the wrong side with City since they, they don't have the bedrock of support United does. Uh, then it's, you know, perhaps easier to organise a protest because there's a smaller community or it's, uh, it's you know, easier f- for uh, market effects to actually erode the demand. But with United, uh, we'll take the maximum allocation to every single ground and, and clubs have realised that and jacked the prices up as a result. And I really think the FA should do something about this kind of thing, but they never will because they think it's a it's an open market. And, and uh, one day this will go too far and fans will start 
staying away. For now, it's a one-off. I'm sure Arsenal will be quite happy to continue their policy. I talk about this every time it comes up, but it's the Stringer Bell thing, man. It's uh, inelastic demand versus elastic demand, and there's a slightly more elastic demand from Manchester City than there is for United. And one of the things is, like, City's fans have not been anaesthetised to the ridiculousness of the prices over the years. To them, it's a, a new experience as they become a Category A side, you know, so they're, they're running into this pricing structure for the first time, and United fans have had it slowly done to them over a number of years. It's like like that thing of people putting a toad in, in boiling water. If you put it in boiling water, it dies straight away and try and escape or whatever, but if you slowly heat the water, it won't notice, and that's kind of the, the difference, really, is that City have jumped into this this is a horrible metaphor, but City fans have jumped into the boiling water, whereas United fans have been slowly cooked over many years. What you're trying to say is both sets of fans have been shafted. <laughs> Boiled alive. I don't understand how people can afford to follow football, you know, in that way. Well, you might want to ask Stringer Bell about that one because, you know, you need that kind of cash to, to do it, don't you? I mean, it, it's astonishing, really, to, to think uh, back to the days when I uh, I used to go home and away to, to almost every game. Uh, you know, family and work and all that kind of restricts that these days. But uh, as with most people of my age, uh, I find. But I, I couldn't have done it on £62 a ticket. You know, the cost of a season ticket at home plus £62 a ticket or whatever it is to go away, plus all the travel, it, you would need uh, a larger mortgage just to pay for a season's worth. Absolutely, but a fixture which has a pretty darn inelastic demand for tickets is Manchester United against Liverpool, and that's what's coming up this week. My least favourite fixture of the season, a lot of people's very favourite fixture of the season. What have we got to look forward to in this one, Ed? Beating the Scousers again, obviously. Dirty, dirty scouts. Although, actually, some of their key players are in good form at the moment. Gerard started scoring again. Suarez, is, as uh, instead of missing the goal, is, is actually hitting the back of the net these days. Rather worrying. Yeah. He, he always used to have everything up to actually doing the scoring bit and seems to have added goals to his repertoire recently. Um, of course, they've got Daniel Sturridge now. Can't, can't say that I think that's a wonderful signing. I think he's a pretty mediocre player. You know, got some talent, but it, it never fulfills on that talent. So I think it'll be a tough game for United you know I know we like to mock Liverpool they're down in eighth and some 20 odd points behind United but you know they just just look like they might be putting something together now Suarez and Gerrard of course the only players in that side that would get anywhere near the United first team as evidenced by the world's worst advert in history where Chevrolet FC took the massive misstep of uh, putting half and half faces of United and Liverpool players it's like a 30 second long half and half scarf it's 48 seconds of utter hideousness. Back to this Muppets thing. What kind of Muppet would do that? I mean, this is some absolutely dumb PR agency. If you're listening, give me a call. I'll give you some social media training. How not to get the effect you want. Yeah, except I guess they've been talked about. Not in a good way. They're, they're trying to engage with football fans. Football fans are saying... You're idiots. Yeah, they just they don't get it, do they? They don't get that that's not a thing you can do. You can't put the histories of Liverpool and United together. I have to say, it's kind of like uncomfortable to watch as a United fan. It must be an absolute nightmare to watch as a Liverpool fan where every single one of those half and half things, the United player is substantially better, you know, and all the kind of biggest club in the world stuff really doesn't apply to anything that Liverpool have done in the last 20 years. I guess they won the Champions League, but, you know, apart from that, we don't like to talk about that. But, yeah, it's just incredible. But having said that, this fixture is 
I never like it because of the hostility between the two clubs but also it's pretty uncomfortable football wise because the extent to which they'll raise their game against United is is insane and I think the Rodgers stuff uh, as easy as it is to make fun of him for his being Liverpool David Brent persona the Rodgers stuff is starting to work and they are starting to look like a proper team and, and as you say Suarez has started to put the ball in the back of the net I cannot see a scenario by which the powers of narrative don't allow Luis Suarez to score I'm, I'm pretty confident about that one I think we're going to see that hand-kissing celebration. As long as Patrice Evra scores a last-minute header, towers above Suarez at a corner. Bring it on. How do, how do you see the, the game going, then? I think you're right. I think Liverpool will raise their game. Uh, of course, they're trying to play possession football these days, but United are heavily dominant in possession at Old Trafford. So I, I actually don't think Liverpool will come here and dominate the ball. I think United will have most of the ball, and United the impetus on United to attack, you know? And the attacking resources that United have are superior, substantially superior to the defensive resources that Liverpool have. So I do see United winning this game. I just I think it will be a tough one. I'm glad it's a tough one, and I'm glad in a way that that you know Liverpool are are, are playing. You know they've got some decent results in the last four or five games, right? You know, Stoke game side because I hope there will be some really good focus, right? And and United will realise that we we really have to put in a performance for this game. Worried about the defensive side of, th- of things, of course. I can't see United keeping a clean sheet. What with Suarez scoring, be interesting if they do try and play a new formation, though. You know, and, and play Suarez a little deeper and storage up front instead of Suarez leading the line on his own. And for United, no Rooney. So will Hernandez play with Van Persie slightly deeper or with Kagawa play with uh, Van Persie leading the line? A big, big decision from Ferguson there. Talked about this on the pod last week. I really like to see Van Persie as our most our furthest forward player but then of course last time last time the two of them played together it was 4-0 and they scored two goals each so you know you can definitely see Fergie thinking well that's pretty much working if you were just doing just going on pure tactics I think having Kagawa and Van Persie seems like it, it is a, a better match for the opposition but that's not really how Fergie thinks is it Fergie's much more instinctive than that and I think think he's likely to favour Hernandez Van Persie then what do you do in the rest of the pitch because he's is he going to bring back Valencia who had that much needed break against West Ham Raphael playing on the right of midfield uh, or basically apparently playing in a free role because he was really everywhere wasn't he not tactically disciplined in that role you know no. I don't think Fergie actually said have a free roll, Rafa. I think he might have slightly misunderstood that one, yeah. Uh, I can't see Rafael playing on the wing again. You know, that was a needs-must uh, to give Valencia a break. I, I would assume that Valencia will be back. Uh, I think you can almost pick the side, right? So the the defensive two is an issue, but I think it's De Gea, Rafael, Evra, Ferdinand, and then hmm, we'll see whether it's Evans or Vidic. And, and then I think it's Carrick. And one other on form, it's probably cleverly. Uh, and then he's Valencia and Young and Van Persie. They're certain. And the other question mark is Hernandez or Kagawa. I think that that's the selection that makes sense. I I think playing Vidic and Ferdinand together, I don't I don't feel like we're ready for that. And I I think a really interesting article by Liz Worsley on United Rant Ed. I thought that was a, a very it was very interesting to get that kind of medical insight into Vidic's situation and he's having to meet with doctors for every game to see whether he's fit or not and I think it's almost more likely that we'll see Vidic again against West Ham and it'll be Ferdinand and Evans against Liverpool 
that's the pairing I'd pick. Uh, I don't think Vidic is quite ready at the moment. I, uh, I think there's a tactical concern about playing both Vidic uh, because he's obviously concerned about his fitness. He's playing very deep and Ferdinand, who's had to adjust his game and play deeper. You know, uh, It's not the right balance for me. I'd, I'd definitely play Evans. It's hard to second-guess Ferguson, though, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And then we move on to the return fixture against West Ham. I, I think I hate to feel complacent about a fixture, but I, I do think we're going to win this one. I think just the impetus given to us, I guess a lot depends on how the Liverpool game goes and what it takes out of the players and who's left. Because, you know, it's uh, it's Saturday, oh, sorry, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. Right, and the, and the visit to Tottenham afterwards is is a massive game, obviously. So there'll be some heavy rotation for United's home fixture with West Ham. But uh, interesting, you said I, I don't want to feel overconfident, but we're going to smash this lot, aren't we? <laughs> but that's sort of how I feel about it. I feel like I feel like this one's somewhat written in the stars, but you know, it's a ridiculous thing to think. Obviously, West Ham will, will be very disappointed. But then, uh, you know, you'd think they'd also take some confidence out of the performance and the fact that United were pretty uncertain. And it is likely to be a slightly less full-strength United side, isn't it? So it could be a really tricky one. It could be uh, rather like your efforts at talking today. Rather, rather tricky. Paul losing his voice. I'm doing my best, listeners. I'm here. I'm committed to the rank cast till I die. Yeah, one of those husky voices. We, we know what Paul does in his spare time. I'm committed to the rank cast. I'm rank cast till I die, which may be within the hour. Can't be too certain about that. Before I do toddle off this mortal coil, let's do some predictions, shall we? Well, I think United will beat Liverpool, but I think it's going to be close. I'm going to say 2-1, and I think it'll be a comfortable 3-0 victory against West Ham. Can't believe you just did that, Ed. A clean sheet out of your mind. I'm going with 2-1. That's that's exactly what I was going to say about the Liverpool game. (laughs) Exactly what you were going to say, yeah. It is. That's true. That's what I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Evra. I'm going to go with goal scorers. Evra, Suarez, Van Persie in that order. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. Then the West Ham game, I don't know. I think a, an unimpressive 3-1 is what I'm going for. All right. Well, two victories each there. And uh, that's a pretty good return on the week and set us up for another victory at Tottenham. But we'll talk about that next week. Absolutely. I, I don't know that I'll predict a victory in that one. And um, just if anyone's worried about excessive levels of optimism on the rank cast, which not always worked out in the past in United's favour. But to be honest, the two things are not correlated. So you're all all right. So assuming that this medical condition is in fact getting better, which I think it is, uh, we'll be back same time next week. Uh, If you want to get us in the meantime, you can get me at UTD Rantcast on Twitter. You can get Ed at United Rant. Uh, You can get us both at unitedrant.co.uk, facebook.com slash unitedrant. Now now with added posts again, Uh, having not been working since October, it turns out, shows how much effort we put into looking at Facebook, doesn't it, Ed? Or you can write us a review on iTunes or unitedrant.co.uk slash donate if you want to give us some money for some reason. Like your medical bills or perhaps funeral. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm all right. I'm fine. It's just a bit of a cold. We'll scatter your ashes at Old Trafford, shall we? All right. So everyone remember people from Liverpool are just the same as us. They just come from a different city and we'll be back this time next week. Come on, you Reds.